0: Welcome to The Big Idea. I'm Douglas Kerr, and our topic this week is the author Eileen Zhang, Zhang Eiling. Born in Shanghai in 1920, she was a novelist, a short story writer, essayist, and translator, and now is recognized as one of the most important of modern Chinese writers. She's associated especially with the city of Shanghai, but also with Hong Kong, and she was a student at Hong Kong University at the time of the Japanese invasion in 1941. She wrote about this in her fiction, and indeed her fictional writing often draws closely on her own experience, whether of her extraordinary and turbulent family and emotional life, or of the vicissitudes of the time she lived in, a time of wars and revolution that engulfed Chinese people and precipitated her own restless and migratory career. 20th century Chinese literature itself can't be separated from the political struggles of the times. And though she has seemed a surprisingly apolitical artist, Eileen Chang's reputation has been the subject of controversy, at least as political as literary. So I'm joined today by two readers of Eileen Chang's work, a scholar and a novelist. Nicole Huang is Professor of Modern Chinese Literature and Visual Culture, at the University of Wisconsin. And she's the author, among other things, of Writing Against the Turmoil, Eileen Chang and the Popular Culture of Occupied Shanghai. Chan Kon jong is an author, journalist, and environmental activist. His work includes the novels translated into English as The Fat Years and The Unbearable Dream World of Champa the Driver. So I want to start, as it were, at the end by asking each of you a simple question, and that is, in your opinion, what's the best thing about Anin Chang's work? I'm going to ask you first, Nicole.
1: Okay. Um, as we know that she came to fame in the wartime occupied Shanghai, um, she does talk about war. She does talk about occupation. She did write about it. Uh, to me, she's at her best when she juxtaposes the external reality uh, the brutal external reality with uh, the intricacies of a domestic and a private life. that's why I think she is at her best, and the most profound moments came uh, when, despite all that's been going on in the outside world, as she writes, the air raids, blockades, the hunger, the death, scarcity, um, but the life seemed to be going on and at its own pace. Uh, She's at her best when she's writing about this inward journey, this uh, entanglement of the inward journey with a persistent effort to come to terms with a violent century, the violent 20th century. Although it's not always explicit, but she does write about it uh, uh, obliquely, Mm. not explicitly. That, I think, is she... You know her as a writer at her very
0: best. This is something we'll be talking some more about how she deals with with public events and so on. Uh, Tang jung do you endorse that?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, I would. um, uh, But I didn't realize at uh, at the time I I read her. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I was a normal Hong Kong um, um, young person, Mm -hmm. and and I didn't read read, uh, didn't read that that many um, serious novels, except. Martial arts, serial, um, yes. drama, romance. Um, so how, until how I was you? at university, uh-huh. and then um, by year one, I, I I would think I I need to be more profound in many ways. So I I try to um to read up. And one of the earliest novels that I read happened to be the short fiction collection mm-hmm. of Eileen Cheng from Taiwan. I've never read something like this. It's a world to me. It's a world you're so familiar with. It's about domestic uh, thing. It's about um, women trying to find a better man. All these common themes Mm. that probably you you will find in other Mills and Booms novels too. But it's different. It's the language. And it's really enchanting. And that opened my sense of how Chinese um, novels can be written.
0: So it's interesting that you you're both talking about ways in which you recognize something in ah, her. Yes, she's writing recognize about, the word. Yes. She's writing about modern Chinese people. But what really seems to have turned you on in particular, Chang Guo is is the language.
2: You know, it's not a um, simple colloquial language. It's a mix of um, older type of so called baihua, the old Old uh, plain language mm. of Ming and Qing um, uh, fictions, and as well as some some um, a really innovative mix of words, that sort of inspire me of the potential of writing different kinds of Chinese.
0: This gives us an introduction to where I want to go next, and that is to try and give a bit of context. Mm about her writing, because Gung Jung has already started talking about the kind of modern Chinese that that she uses. And this is a huge issue, is it right. not, in Chinese literary history in the early part of the 20th century. So, Nicole, can you help us a bit with that? Um, what's going on in Chinese mm. writing at the time when Eileen when Zhang is growing up and learning to be a writer?
1: Okay, when she was growing up, of course, she was born in 1920. Um, the modern Chinese literature was in the face of the so-called post-May 4th literature. So there had already been a canon, there had been a lyric canon, there had been new literature. There's been a master narrative of a time. And when she came to writing, um, that was the Japanese occupied Shanghai after mm-hmm. she returned to Shanghai, found a war-ridden Hong Kong, right? Um, That uh, narrative of the time, the grand narrative of her time, was about war, was about revolution, was about drastic urban and rural transformations. Did she write about them? I think she did on one level. She did on one level obliquely, but she chose to write about it differently, um, so she certainly demonstrated no interest in writing a comprehensive account of war, of resistance or individual awareness, consciousness, and there you wouldn't find heroes and villains in sharp contrast in her writing right so she she's not interested in all that, but she does write about. War. She does about uh, write about the destructions, the personal upheavals, uh, and so I actually I've written about how her wartime narrative is a kind of alternative narrative that forms a contrast to master narrative of her time.
0: Okay. Yeah. Now she's born in 1920. 1920. So she belongs exactly to the generation that follows the, the May Fourth right. Movement, 1919. Right. Am I right? Right. when I think of the May 4th movement I think of well, lots of things but one thing yeah. is that the writers of the May 4th want to write about China it's, they want to produce a national a new kind of national literature right. is that right?
2: Sure, um, starting from Liang Qicaosa mm. 1902 <coughs> um, futuristic novel um, the, the Future of the New China Chronicle of the Future of a New China mm. You know, they, they, they all believe that Um, novels in particular contribute to national building
0: So that although their writing may be about private lives and love affairs and so on, at the back of it is this sense of something going on in the nation a renewal going on in the nation that they want to record and and contribute to Now, I want to get back from there to this question of language which, which you raised because the other thing that I mean, I don't know much about the May 4th movement, but the other thing I know about it is that there's a language revolution mm-hmm. in the way that literary work is written,
1: yeah. right? Yeah.
0: So when Eileen Chang, when did she start writing? She was a teenager, wasn't she, when she started? She started
1: writing. She actually first started writing in English. You know, her mm. writer's career actually okay. began with writing uh, for an Anglophone, uh, reading.
0: So here, here's another complication. It's
1: complication. She really had a very mixed, very hybrid education coming up. Yes, she was born in the post-May 4th, China. And she had read all the canonical works of the May 4th generation. But she also had a bilingual education growing up in Hong Kong, um, no, Hong Kong not Shanghai. Mm. And she also had college education, part of that college education in Hong Kong. So the bilingual upbringing. And the fact that when she first started writing, that was 1941, when she returned from Hong Kong. Uh, She wrote for the English Language Journal. It was actually the Nazi-backed English Language Journal. Yeah, 20th century. She wrote short prose uh, to talk about tidbits of life. She wrote film reviews, drama reviews.
0: I would like, before we get to Hong Kong and Shanghai, to... Talk a little bit about her upbringing and and her family because this Mm -hmm. is so important Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. her writing. And again and again and again, she comes Mm -hmm. back to these sort of basic archetypal characters, right, Mm -hmm. the mother, the daughter, and so on. Um, She seems to be a very, very autobiographical writer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Sure, Um, toward the end of her life, the last work she produced was again about her earlier years. And the, the, the two English um, uh, novels she produced were also about um, the formative years and mm-hmm. the young adult years.
0: This is The Fall of Pagoda and Book of Change? Yes. Written yes. in English?
2: Yeah, they so have all sort of autobiographic. She
0: doesn't seem to be able to leave it alone. No, no, no. She
2: tried. Yeah. She tried other, other, she, she had other attempts yeah. um, in the middle of her career. But it, at the uh, latter part, She'd return to her, her younger days. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: let's just hear the, the headlines of the, the kind of material that she's mm. talking about. It's really to do with the parent. It's really to do with the mother, mm-hmm. isn't it?
2: But in particular, but mm. probably also the father's side. Yeah. But the mother really make a big impression yeah. on her, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She had a stepfather. Mm-hmm.
2: She was from a very um, celebrated family on the, on, the, on the mother's side, right?
1: Oh on both sides. On both sides. Yeah, the yes, father's yeah. side. Um the a r- father's rich side
0: family was, or a cultured family?
2: Uh, Mandarin di- uh, from from the Qing dynasties of mm. stuff. Okay.
1: Yeah. So aristocratic but decaying. Decayed, Decaying aristocrat the right. <laughs> Yeah. So she definitely had that. And the father was an opium addict. And in the, the, the autobiographical details of her childhood came out first in her essays Mm -hmm. that she wrote in the 1940s uh, in a collection called Liu Yan or Written on Water. That's my translation. Mm -hmm. Um, So it came out uh, bits by bits in some of her earlier essays about a father that was an opium addict and a mother who was absent. A mother who was a flamboyant,
2: Brother, uh, global bohemian trotter, figure. bohemian oh, yes. figure. Her and mother was everywhere. Yeah, her mother was yeah. um, everywhere. Right. Her mother was quite a character. Right. And um, uh, uh, it's almost incomprehensible how a mother would behave like yeah. that to a daughter. Um, compared to her mother, she was quite timid and tame. The yeah. mother was sort of wild. Yeah. Uh, though the aunt, too, yeah. for a while followed the mother, but uh, eventually it was the aunt sort of stabilized her.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they seem to have been close, mother and daughter, and, and yet it was a very difficult
1: mm, it relationship. Was a complicated right? relationship. I think uh, Aileen Zhang had this yearning, this perpetual yearning for this absent mother, and yet it was the mother who really was the source of much of her torment, childhood torment, as well as the torments that she experienced as a grown up. And those are the details that came out. What's in the story her about
0: labor. her being locked up?
1: Oh, the lockup. Mm. It has to do with the father. The father, yeah. Yeah. Father her up. yeah, yeah. yeah. The, and
2: mm. men, I mean, in, in, in Eileen Seung's, probably um, she, she has a special take on men, right? Mm-hmm. Probably that also came mm. from the father's, in, the, the, the infectious or, or uh, effeminate the father. Mm.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: It had to do with the role of a, a stepmother and the father remarried and the stepmother and this also came out in one of her earlier essays that she contradicted her stepmother. Therefore, this resulted in brutal beating. Uh, with being her being locked up and it's she finally a escaped. Horrifying story isn't it? Yes, it was a horrifying story and that's the kind of thing. I mean, she had this tormented childhood as you were both saying that she seemed unable to let go of it and it came back many many times over in and repeated retelling of these experiences in her later decades. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, but let's not leave her fixated in her childhood Because I yes. interrupted you, Nicole yeah. You were taking the story further on mm. She becomes a student She mm. comes to Hong Kong She's mm. here for, what is it, three years? She's here from 1939 mm-hmm. to
1: 1941
0: And then the Japanese invade Yes Her studies are interrupted She never got a degree <laughs> no. And she manages to get back to Shanghai mm-hmm. And this then This seems to be the great period of success in her life Yes. when she's back in Shanghai she's yeah. publishing stories yeah. and essays yes. and Things. she becomes a bit of a celebrity
1: very brief three years and eight months mm-hmm. that was the period of Japanese occupation of Shanghai and that was the creative height of Eileen Zhang's career
2: that yeah. w- was also the first book I read about her I mean her first work that I've read the short stories the mm-hmm. collection of short stories
0: mm-hmm. how is she dealing with so Shanghai in the 40s mm-hmm. under the Japanese, it's a very fraught mm-hmm. um, yes. situation. Yes. How is she dealing with the... As I said at the beginning that she's considered not a very political writer and yet these are important public themes all round about her. Yeah. How yeah. do they show up in her
2: work? Well, um, in a way, probably that liberated her. Because, you, you see, there was pressure to write about the... Um, um, the pursuit of uh, uh, building a nation Mm -hmm. and resisting the Japanese Mm -hmm. and or uh, um, trying to to have a progressive stand um, against the Kuomintang nationalist rule at that Mm -hmm. time the the Japanese didn't allow these debates in in the occupied China so uh, literati in that time during that time can write about things that people would think are too mild or personal for uh, for the public good. So without this pressure on the public good, she turned to domestic issues and oh, um, uh, and men and women uh, dialectics. You know, and that is why somebody said he is against the current. What's the current? The Bay 4 Movement, canonical current, which is more about national building mm. and resistance to foreign invasion.
0: So that's that's very interesting. So you're suggesting that she, as it were, turns back into the private, partly because that's that's where she's got some freedom.
2: Yes, that's a, one of the things you are allowed to do. Yes, under uh, the Japanese occupation. Yeah,
0: and yet her stories do deal with political
1: matters, do not it? Well, it does. I, th- I think uh, a lot of people said that she wasn't political. I, in fact, think that she has this very shrewd sense of politics. She had this insight at such a young age that this three years and eight months of Japanese occupation was her opportunity. And many of her seniors in the literary circles at the time told her not to publish during that time because Mm. of these associations with Japanese-backed publication channels. But she said, it cannot wait. Cannot Mm -hmm. wait now. Get famous right away, quickly. Cannot wait. So she did. She did publish a collection of short fiction, as Mr. Chen was saying. It's called The Romances, or Chuan Qi, followed by a collection of short prose called Liu Yan, or Written on Water. And those two collections are still widely regarded as some of her best writings. She yeah, completed.
0: she yeah. suffers from this later, doesn't she? She did after, after the, the Japanese defeated, yeah. Yeah. the revolution. Yeah, yeah. Her, she's criticised as being unpatriotic. Would that be a right well, word? That
1: had to be uh, had to do with her association, mm. um, both on personal level and on professional level. Personally, she briefly married a key figure in the collaboration as the government, uh, Professionally, she published in Japanese-backed mm. uh, journals and publications. So those are the things that she could not shake off in the post-war years. So she was politically stigmatized in the post-war years.
2: She even wrote about her um, encounter with a, a literati figure in Shanghai. And this figure... Almost took advantage of her at a at a, at a in a bus when they were running at the same bus, and sh- she said, "Because I was associated with um, this collaborist figure, they think they can well, less me yeah. uh, b- yeah. because I, I, I was one of yeah. the, the col- about, about, um, among the collaboration camp." So she was vulnerable, vulnerable yes.
0: <clears throat> in terms of her reputation, and this is the time and the I suppose the work that most people know of Eileen Zhang is the story Lust Caution, which became a famous Mm. film. That deals with some of these themes, does it not?
1: Uh, Lust Caution, interesting. The film, the Anne Lee film, in fact, was based on a rather obscure story by Eileen Zhang that she first wrote when she came back to Hong Kong in 1952.
2: Mm -hmm. Trying to enroll into Hong Kong, University. Yeah,
1: she's trying to finish her... Diploma.
2: We wouldn't probably she didn't <laughs> really mean to do it. She just wanted to get a visa <laughs> out of China. I okay. think
1: I think that's three. Yeah, I think you're right. The three years in Hong Kong in the 50s was a kind of an intermediate zone
2: mm-hmm. on
1: her way to an even farther place. Um, so that's less caution was did not published was not published until 1970. So it's rather obscure story by Alan John and became. Representative work, I think a lot of it was because of Lee's adaptation, yeah.
0: which makes some changes.
1: Yeah, huge, huge changes. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. To the story. Yeah. Okay, so life becomes a bit. She did actually live in the PRC for a couple of years, didn't she? Sure. After the revolution. Yes. Sure. She tried
2: yeah. to conform, probably. Mm-hmm. Against her will, but she did write something mm-hmm. during that time too. Yeah. Those were the difficult years, uh, yeah. I'm sure for, for her, because yeah. um, one of the um, the, uh, the earlier, actually, the, the book form long term, long form novel mm-hmm. that she wrote after she mm-hmm. left a PLC was accused of plagiarization. She, oh, really? Right, oh, yeah. and then um, she wrote for the. Um, uh, USIS um, American Information um, Service, like a Greek so-called Greenback-funded uh, um, anti-communist hat uh, uh, work, but it turned out to be quite good. I, I quite enjoyed these mm, those two, two novels, the yeah. two novels, the famous two novels mm. that she wrote for uh, on commission. Um, yeah,
0: it, it's really interesting. Is it So when she's now in living in California. Or in Hong Kong and then California,
2: right? uh, Hong Kong, and then t- she moved to the U- U.S. She'd been yeah. living at various places, and then she married uh, Mr. Liar, an American playwright. Then they moved to California.
0: And it, it's strange and rather poignant, the way she gets taken up by... This is the depths of the Cold War. Yes, right? She's seen by some people in America as a kind of anti, anti-communist Chinese mm-hmm. writer mm-hmm. and s- subsidized and commissioned to do things. It's a rather... Sad story, and it seems. And then she lives on quite a long time, doesn't she? In in uh, California, increasingly reclusive. This is when you failed to meet her. Yes, that's
2: <laughs> amazing thing. You know, she <coughs> made a big name uh, with her work in the early forties, and then she's been around for for decades. She, she migrated to Hong Kong in the uh, in the fifties, early fifties, and then. There's a revival of her uh, reputation in Taiwan first, in, in the 60s, I would think, and, and the early 70s in Hong Kong too. That was when I um, got to know her work, early 70s. So we should all be, um, all be welcoming her back to the literary scene here. No, uh, she she traveled to Taiwan for a while trying to establish something, but it didn't work out. So she's been there in, in, in the United States and 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 then and then what? Um, she didn't meet that. Meet the, the, her, her readers at all. And then um, I, I, I adapted uh, her nineteen forty three novel, maybe um, "Love in the Foreign City," mm. into um, into a stage play uh, by Hong Kong Repertoire, and uh, that was nineteen eighty seven. They put on the the, 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 the play on uh, in nineteen eighty seven through um uh Zainin's friend Song Qi mm-hmm. Ling Yi Liang. Mm-hmm. um Song Qi. Stephen Song. Yes. Stephen Song uh, in, the, in, so Hong Kong. in Hong Kong. <coughs> so I should uh be able to ask Mr Song Qi to sort of introduce me to to uh, Lin Jiang. I will be I will be been to American Maritimes. times. So I didn't really look her up. She has a reputation of turning people out down and um, refusing to, to meet anybody. So I dare not ask. I, I always sta- said there was a mischance. I should try. I didn't even try.
0: That's a poignant story. And it's interesting how people, will, and she she had been very famous in her time, but presumably the reputation was still there.
1: She lived a reclusive life um, in her American decades. That's for sure. But still yeah. writing. And still writing. And for the longest time we thought, her creative life had stopped mm-hmm. and that view was changed drastically with the recent excavation of her unpublished manuscript one after another uh, that came to light that she actually lived an active uh, writer's life creative career She's writing in, in both
0: Chinese and English
1: she's writing in both Chinese and English <laughs> and she kind of repeat i mean repeated her earlier pattern of trans- self translation she wrote something first in English and rewrote it back into Chinese and back and forth, sometimes in short narrative lengthened to make into a novel form. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an incessant periods of rewriting, retelling. of Some of it was found earlier, earlier memories and a lot of mm-hmm. that. So she kept writing for decades. And,
2: he turned into yeah. English writing. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried to uh, um, come up with all kinds of... Ideas about English novels, mm. and uh, she, she did uh, write one, right, mm. uh, one novel uh, in English. Um, probably she enjoyed writing in English too. I'm, I'm sure he, she likes the language a lot, mm. but it didn't. It was not a, a successful. So she has difficulty getting publishers after mm. the first first job. So it's um, um, always a sad thing for when a writer has to write another language just out of necessity, yes. trying to make a name or make, make a living.
1: We we have always characterized her as an urban writer. Mm-hmm. If I can talk about that, that the urban yes. writer always talk about her as a quintessentially urban writer or quintessentially Shanghai writer. Mm. Uh, but actually, the recent excavated manuscripts show a different, actually, of her writing, that she actually has quite a take to the space that is in between metropolis, in between uh, Shanghai and Hong Kong. She wrote about village life. She wrote about small-town China in this uh, this uh, partial manuscript. This was an unfinished manuscript that was published two years ago. It's called Yixiangji, A Chronicle of a Strange Land. It was unpublished narrative of her in post-war years venturing outside of Shanghai into the countryside of southern China, uh, looking at this kind of ravaged landscape, impoverished population. She wrote about that. So that's a kind of a breath that we did not previously see in her early writings. So I thought her later writing was actually quite interesting. So the Alin studies could venture into new areas, new directions. Of
0: actually, we've used that all the time. This is a good way to end because it's a rather positive note. That although
1: mm.
0: her life had a rather sad ending, yeah. in fact, now there's still work that's, that's appearing that people haven't read before. Oh, yeah. And her reputation is... is yeah. Is broadening and continuing. Mm. That's good. Okay, we have run out of time. Thank you both very much, Nicole. Well, thank you. Thank you.
1: And thank you for listening.